0: Long History. The Southern United States in the 1500s. Top 10 Surprises. Hello and welcome to Long History where we take historic source documents and cut them into chunks of around 10 minutes or so. Having said that, this episode is a bit of an exception and as any longer term listeners will know, after a long document we like to have a bit of a gap and then we'll create a couple of episodes about that document summarising it. The first one has just been released, that was top 10 events, and in this one we'll do top 10 surprises that took place in the southern United States in the 1500s. Now I've done a few of these top 10 surprises episodes now about famous explorers such as Magellan and Columbus and Francis Drake and these one-off episodes means that a new document is going to begin soon so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when that's released. This also serves as an introduction to um, the southern United States in the 1500s and just for anyone who hasn't come across that document yet. It's about an expedition by a man called Hernando de Soto. It begins in the 1530s, starting in Florida, heading up to the Carolinas, over to Tennessee, down to Alabama, Mississippi, up to Arkansas, through Texas, back again, and then down the Mississippi. And these are some of the very first written European descriptions of these areas. And I just see these episodes of surprises as a different take on the document. And so in this way, with the top 10 events episode, you've got two ways of summarizing the document from kind of two different viewpoints. So let's get going with Long histories: The Southern United States in the 1500s Top 10 Surprises. Now, when I think of surprises, I think in terms of the other documents I've looked at already, and I should add that there's no particular order to these surprises either, but this one came quite early on in um, this document. The surprise here is summarised with two quotes which I'll give here. The first one is from episode 1. The governor on La Gomera, to Doña Isabel, he gave a natural daughter of his to be her waiting maid. And just to explain the context there, Hernando de Soto at this point has made it to La Gomera, one of the canary islands on his way across the Atlantic to um, Cuba. On that island he meets the governor who gives his wife, Doña Isabel, as he states a natural daughter of his to be her waiting maid. That's the first quote. The second quote is in episode 2, and Hernando de Soto is in Cuba and he's just about to set off for the American mainland. Here's the quotation. Before our departure, the governor deprived Nunya de Tobar of the rank of captain general. There's a bit of a gap, and then... This was done because Nunya de Tobar had made love to Doña Isabel's waiting maid, daughter of the governor of Gomera and though he had lost his place yet to return to Soto's favour for she was with child by him he took her to wife and went to Florida. So there's a few aspects that stood out to me with these quotes things that just haven't happened in other documents. It may be strange to say but primarily one of the strangest things here is that a woman is mentioned at all and that there are actually two women involved in these quotes one being Hernando de Soto's wife and the other being this daughter of the governor of La Gomera. Now, of course, women have to have existed in these worlds. And if you look carefully at these documents, women do appear. But the strange thing in this document is that women do crop up a number of times. Not often, but the the fact that they crop up at all is interesting. The other noteworthy one being in episode 8, when there's a female leader in the kind of North Carolina and Tennessee area. And I think another particularly surprising aspect to this particular anecdote about Nuño de Tobar is that essentially it's kind of gossip. He's made love to this Doña Isabel's waiting maid, she's become pregnant and then she's married this Nuño de Tobar and what stands out about it without overanalyzing it too much is just the fact that this is mentioned at all. I think it's about five years are described in this document And this is the only time in the document that a relationship between a man and a woman is described. So this event, which is ultimately just a kind of a realistic occurrence between a man and a woman, it's strange that it is mentioned here but is not mentioned anywhere else. Not quite sure what to make of that but it definitely stands out in itself. So there's two aspects to this surprise here, the, the importance of women in these anecdotes and the fact that this particular gossip, for want of a better word, is mentioned here but there must have been similar episodes throughout these years that the men are travelling around North America and yet none of those are mentioned. And that first surprise takes place in episodes 1 and 2 and then the female leader later on is mentioned in episode 8. For the second surprise it was difficult to come up with one specific quote to illustrate this but one thing that did surprise me and it was also something surprising about the document Florida, Texas and northern Mexico in the 1500s which looked at Cabeza de Vaca's journey around the gulf coast and the surprise in both documents is how well populated these areas are when the Spanish arrive. Now I know that Hernando de Soto does specifically look for places of settlement and roots out the leader in each of these places but what strikes me is just how easy it is for, for him to find population centres. It's an interesting surprise which kind of undermines my impressions of North America at that time. And just to give a quote here, this is from episode 11. The following day he came to Itawa, a town subject to Kosa. And a sentence or two arm. Ten or twelve chiefs came to him on the road, from the cacique of that province, tendering his service. Bearing bows and arrows and wearing bunches of feathers, and a few sentences later they made this leader, this cacique himself. The cacique, who at that moment was at a town on the opposite shore, was sent for, and he came at once. After some words between him and the governor, proffering mutual service, he gave the tamemes that were requisite and thirty women as slaves. Now, the word tameme there is used throughout the document to mean a porter people to help carry the um, expedition stuff. And we can see in this quotation where um, De Soto is in the Alabama area, he meets 10 or 12 chiefs, the cacique, the overall leader, 30 women are mentioned, as well as some of these tamemes, these porters. And this is just one small incident where they've met a few people. But when you extrapolate from this number of people, if there's 30 women given as slaves, how many weren't given as slaves? If there's 10 or 12 leaders, how many people were they leading? And this is striking throughout the document, just the sheer number of people that they meet along the way. But that quotation in particular happened in episode 11. Surprise 3 happens in episode 4. And something happens here in this episode that very rarely happens in these documents. You rarely get much of a sense of the personal relations between the Spanish on these expeditions. I suppose there are mutinies sometimes, but there's a particular disagreement in this episode, which is quite revealing. Here's the quotation, and it's about a disagreement between a man called Vasco Porcayo de Figueroa, who was one of the people who had funded the expedition, and he disagrees with Hernando de Soto. Here's the quotation. As the principal object of Vasco Porcayo de Figueroa in coming to Florida had been to get slaves for his plantation and mines, finding, after some incursions that no seizures could be made because of dense forest and extensive bogs, he determined to go back to Cuba, and in consequence of that resolution there grew up such a difference between him and Soto that neither of them treated nor spoke to the other kindly. Still, with words of courtesy, he asked permission of him to return and took his leave. So a bit like the um, episode with the lady-in-waiting, this anecdote is revealing in a number of ways. It shows the disagreement between De Soto and other people on the expedition. But the fact that this is specifically a disagreement about the taking of slaves was something that I found surprising. And these moments, when someone decides to return, to go back, and not to continue with the expedition, albeit for rather unpleasant reasons, are also interesting in themselves. And that disagreement between the owner of a plantation and mines who wants to take slaves with De Soto is a revealing glimpse of those days, and it took place in episode 4. <sniffs> surprise number 4. And this is something that's unique to this document, written by the gentleman of Elvis about Hernando de Soto's expedition, and it's another aspect of the text that's quite difficult to unravel. But this surprise is that we hear the words, supposedly hear the words, of um, local people, local leaders themselves. I've got one example here from, I think this was the leader of Tuscaloosa. His name is given various spellings in the document, but this is the quotation. Your lordship is very welcome. With the sight of you I receive as great pleasure and comfort as though you were an own brother whom I dearly loved. It is idle to use many words here, as it is not well to speak at length where a few may suffice. The greater the will, the more estimable the deed, and acts are the living witnesses of truth. So, this quotation goes on, and I think the striking thing there, when you consider that they sort of can barely communicate with these people, is how the gentleman of Elvis, in writing this down, and let's not forget that he wrote this after he'd returned home, apparently, he didn't have any notes or anything, he wrote this from memory. So it's hard to know how he can assert that this leader said a phrase like the greater the will the more estimable the deed. It kind of sets up a little puzzle of why the gentleman of Elvis is writing this particular group of words where we ask is this reflecting reality in any way or is this written more for the audience who's going to read this document or is it in some way a a transcription of what was actually said It's quite difficult to believe that, but on the other hand, why include these? There's a lot of these kind of quotations, supposed quotations from local people. It's interesting when you look at these speeches in isolation that they're not all the same. There are different flavours of different personalities taking place. But even so, it's hard to conclude what the gentleman of Elvis is actually doing here. But that particular quotation, and there's plenty of other examples throughout the document, but that particular quotation took place in episode 10. We're onto Surprise 5 now and anyone who's listened to any of the other documents about Magellan and Francis Drake and the rest will know that something that I've commented on a few times is a lack of personalities in the documents. By reading between the lines we have been able to get a glimpse of some of the personality of these very famous people but Hernando de Soto in this document does have quite a strong personality to the point that a few of the remaining surprises here are actually going to be about um, Hernando de Soto's personality. It first emerges in episode 8, where we see the early evidence of um, Hernando de Soto's determination to continue and find richer lands. Here's the quotation. The natives were asked if they had knowledge of any great lord farther on, to which they answered that 12 days travel thence was a province called Chiaja, subject to the chief of Cosa. The governor then resolved at once to go in quest of that country, and being an inflexible man, and dry of word, who, although he liked to know what the others all thought and had to say, after he once said a thing he did not like to be opposed, and as he ever acted as he thought best, all bent to his will. For though it seemed an error to leave that country, when another might have been found about it, on which all the people could have been sustained until the crops had been made and the grain gathered, There were none who would say a thing to him after it became known that he had made up his mind. So it's interesting how the gentleman of Elvis here is describing the general disagreement with Hernando de Soto. He wants to go on and continue and find richer lands, but according to the gentleman of Elvis, the expedition members prefer just to do what he says than to openly disagree with him. So there's a lot you could make of that, but I suppose in short but it's just revealing about Hernando de Soto's personality. He seems to be quite a stubborn man who is determined to make the decisions himself. So that's surprise number five, de Soto's personality. But surprise number six is also in a way about de Soto's personality, and this quotation is taken from episode six. He told him that he was the child of the sun, coming from its abode, and that he was going about the country, seeking for the greatest prince there, and the richest province. So in that discussion between De Soto and a local person we can see that De Soto is quite happy to give the impression that he is somehow godlike. He says to this local person that he's a child of the sun and if okay, we could see that that's quite ambiguous, he's just saying that he comes from the east perhaps. But from episode 18 we've got another example of De Soto being quite happy to give the impression that he is godlike. He made them believe that some things which went on among them privately he had discovered without their being able to see how or by what means, and that the figure which appeared in a mirror he showed told him whatsoever they might be about or desired to do, whence neither by word nor deed did they dare undertake anything to his injury. So there's these little slivers where de Soto reveals that he's quite happy to give the impression that he has some kind of magic, some godlike ability. And those quotations are given in episode 6 and episode 18. For surprise number 7, I've written down here, casually taking slaves. Now this is something that happens throughout the document, where De Soto seems to be quite happy to go into a village and just take people. That's quite common. And there's also a mixture of relations between local people. Some of them are very warlike and belligerent. Some of them are very friendly. Overall, however, the, the, the slightly depressing sense I get is that whatever the local people do with the Spanish, ultimately they're not going to win all they can kind of do is mitigate the damage that the Spanish might do to them. There's one particular example of this kind of no-win situation for the local people in episode 9, and this involves the betrayal of the leader of Coste. There's been some Spanish looting in this village, followed by de Soto pretending to berate his men, but then he even uses this to his advantage, plotting to isolate and capture the leaders of this village. So he finds out about this looting, and this is his reaction. He seized a stave and took part with the assailants against his own people, which while it gave confidence, directly he sent a message secretly to the camp that armed men should approach where he was, then, taking the chief by the hand, speaking to him with kind words, drew him with some principal men away from the town, out into an open road, in sight of the encampment, where cautiously the Christians issued and by degrees surrounded them. So what's happened there is that the Indians are upset because the Spanish have been looting despite the friendliness they have showed. De Soto pretends to punish his own people to give a good impression to the uh, local people. But he gets word out and uses this as an opportunity to kind of set aside the leaders of this group and then surround them. And the text itself seems to acknowledge the underhandedness of these events. The gentleman of Elva's writing about Hernando de Soto that this plot was against his nature, whatever we can read into that phrase. But that is perhaps quite a mixed bag of a surprise. It's generally the way the Spanish quite casually take people, and the way in this particular episode, that the local people show friendship, but the Spanish loot them anyway, and Hernando de Soto, is sort of forced to come up with a plot to rescue himself, but it's a plot which portrays the friendship he's shown to the local people. And those events took place in episode 9. On to surprise 8 now. And what struck me is the importance of Juan Ortiz in this document. He crops up twice. He's the man who first appears in episode 2, when he's found in Florida, having been lost there for over a decade. But the surprise here is that he isn't a leader. He isn't one of the captains who are frequently mentioned in the document. But he does appear again in episode 16 when he dies the quotation is here, Juan Ortiz died in Autiamque, a loss the governor greatly regretted, for, without an interpreter, not knowing whither he was travelling, Soto feared to enter the country lest he might get lost. So it's very rarely stated that the governor regrets the loss of a person in such a way, but this Juan Ortiz is particularly singled out, as is the importance of interpreters which again is rarely mentioned. And I suppose the other surprising aspect of this is the fact that this man appears twice in the document. We kind of see his full story within this document. So that's surprise number eight, the discovery and the death of Juan Ortiz. But of course there's another important death in the document. And we said previously how De Soto's personality is going to be the subject of a number of surprises. And the remaining two surprises here will both involve his personality and what happens when he dies. Surprise number nine is about De Soto's death, and it's this specific quotation here. He was advanced by fortune, in the way she is wont to lead others, that he might fall the greater depth. He died in a land, and at a time, that could afford him little comfort in his illness. When the danger of being no more heard from stared his companions in the face, each one himself having need of sympathy, which was the cause why they neither gave him their companionship nor visited him, as otherwise they would have done. So it's a strange thing to describe and it's that last phrase in particular that's a surprise because what seems to be being said here basically is that people would have visited Hernando de Soto on his deathbed but they were all too miserable themselves all too in need of sympathy as it says to visit him. So the surprise here is that very obliquely it's basically saying that no one visited Hernando de Soto as he died. That's what I'm taking from this anyway. And the fact that Gen- The Gentleman of Elvis wrote this is in itself quite surprising, it is when you look at the detail of a very strange death. And that was surprise number 9 and the quotation was from episode 18. And the final surprise, number 10, is again related to Hernando de Soto's personality and it sort of resolves the puzzle of the previous quotation. And the following quotation takes place a bit later on in the same episode in episode 18. Some were glad at the death of Don Hernando de Soto, holding it certain that Luis de Moscoso, who was given to leading a gay life, preferred to see himself at ease in a land of Christians rather than continue the toils of war, discovering and subduing, which the people had come to hate, finding the little recompense that followed. So the first part of this surprise is the fact that actually there seems to have been quite a lot of relief at the death of Hernando de Soto, and it's openly stated here, Of course we don't quite know what to make of that, perhaps it's just that the gentleman of Elvis really disliked Hernando de Soto. But when we combine all these elements of this man who was quite happy to be perceived as a god in some way, who betrayed local people, who was constantly looking for more wealth, who wanted to be in charge and to make the decisions, along with the fact that nobody particularly went to his deathbed it seems, what all this adds up to is, shall we say, a not very pleasant portrayal of a man. It's quite clear that the men prefer Luis de Moscoso. He just seems to be a much more relaxed man. And whereas Hernando de Soto seems to have wandered around in a warlike state, to paraphrase the previous quote, the people have come to hate that life. Especially because even they got little out of it. And there's another quotation here, referring to the new governor, Luis de Moscoso the governor ordered that the captains and principal personages should come together to consult and determine upon what they would do. And, informed of the population there was on all sides, he found that towards the west the country was most inhabited, and that descending the stream, after passing Gigaltam, it was desert and had little sustenance. So we immediately see here the contrast between Luis de Moscoso and Hernando de Soto, Luis de Moscoso is much more democratic, much more willing to consult with his men, and people just seem to be happier, at least at this point they just seem to be happier with this. Perhaps there's also a sense with the death of Hernando de Soto, that this prideful man who wants to continue on this quest despite all evidence that it's failing quickly, they can all now let go of him and his plans and just return home. But that's the final surprise, and it's this weird sense of relief at de Soto's death. Okay so there you go thank you for listening. As I say this is just a different take on the document by looking at it from a different point of view. If you've liked this episode please don't forget to like it in whatever way you can. We've got a new document starting soon so don't forget to subscribe. But above all thank you for listening to the southern United States in the 1500s. Top 10 surprises. Goodbye.